Uh, yeah, so today, today we are going to encounter Job's uh, third friend. Uh, but first we're going to hear uh, Job's uh, second part of Job's response to uh, Bildad um, from, la- from last time. Which is not really a response to Bildad, but actually questions to God. So just to catch you up, we are in uh, chapter 10 through 12 today. Uh, last time Bildad, his second friend, has spoken... Um, Job responds with, yes, you're not saying anything new, you're not giving me any insight, um, you're just saying the same things again and again, which has actually not really been helpful, and I'm in a worse state now because my, now I have worms coming out of my sores and eating my skin, and you guys are just keep talking and talking, but you don't really... You're not really encouraging in any way because you just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, so then we come to chapter 10 where, where if you take the next slide, um, I'm going to do a little bit like last time. So I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's three chapters. But I'm going to kind of condense it into how I understand it and then we'll read some of the parts uh, out of it. And so... Uh, as you look at the text up there, please uh, follow along. And also, if you have notes, you can take notes. Uh, and also, just ask me, why didn't you talk about that, if you wanted me to do that. But I'll try to condense it down to, to um, so we can go through it. And I'll try not to make it as long as last time. Um, so what's happening is that you can see in the text that um, now... Job is at a point where his friends are not responding anyway, and he feels like God is not really responding, so now he's just going to, as he says, I'm going to give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. No, uh, do not condemn me. Let me know why you were contending against me. Uh, so he's saying, like, okay, I, I've had enough. I'm now just going to freely complain to God. And he enters into this thing where he's saying, like, okay, God, I know that you created me. But why is it then that you're contending against me? Like, so you made me, but why are you, why are you not fighting against me? So he starts asking these good questions about who God is. And there's the, um, do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? All really good questions. Job's asking questions because he didn't understand why this is happening. Why would you make me? And then pursue me. We're going to talk about that a little bit later too. He asks, are, are your days the same as our days? Is my day the same as your day? Which is really interesting because it all depends on where you spend your day, how long it is. But here on earth, it's a certain size. And then also in Peter, when we talk about Jesus coming back, he talks about, well, remember, God sees days differently. And he's, he's not slow, but he's patient. Uh, maybe that's not really what Joe wants to hear at this point, that God is not, uh, that he's not slow, but patient. <laughs> Because he would like something to happen right now. Um, then we have this beautiful passage about um, 
You fashioned me. You, your hands fashioned me and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and I will return to the dust. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bone and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love. So just this intimate explanation of how God has created Job. And if you know the Psalm, Psalm 30, 139, the psalmist is so excited about this. So is Job a little bit, but he is also very confused. Because if you have spent so much time and so much love by putting me together, then why are you now destroying me? Job is saying, that I made a fragile material, and this fragile material is going to deteriorate, and I'll turn back to dust. He recognizes that God has loved him. But why then are you now, why are you now then just trying to destroy me? Trying to destroy me? Why are you out to get me? Uh, can you take the next slide? He describes, why are you hunting me down like a lion? And as soon as I've overcome one temptation, you send fresh troops against me. This notion that in war you would have you would have the troops come against, maybe against the city, and you would repel them. And you're, yes, we got it. But then they would just send fresh ones in. So every time Job seems like he's got, oh, I just, oh, I just had a little rest. Now, God, you just sent more against me. You're hunting me down because you are looking if I have any sin. But God, if you love me and you took so much time creating me, then why are you now out to destroy me? I think this is actually one of the biggest questions I have for us today is, and I'm gonna kind of depart a little bit, um, make it a little bit of a detour to make like a point. Is this your picture of God? This picture that Job is describing, is this how you view God? That, okay, yeah, he loved me and he made me and he, I've seen him do some things in my life. I understand he loves me. But he's really out to get me. Like whenever I do anything wrong, he's just waiting for me. He's just waiting for me to do something wrong. And then like a, a false Greek god, he'll just like throw calamity or like a lightning down and strike me down. Or he would just make my days bad and, you know, he'll give me sicknesses and he'll be like, make sure to make my... Life as difficult as possible. Is this how you see God? Maybe I'll press it even on some different levels. Does your view of God change depending on how well you do? Do you believe that God loves you better? When you're so, so-called successful in your Christian life. I think I've stolen it from somebody else. But do you feel better about yourself days when you did everything right? And you lay down to sleep. And you lay down to sleep and it's like, yes, God. Today I was great. 
And then the opposite comes. What about the days where everything goes wrong? You lay down in your bed and you've done all the things you said you would never do again. Did God change? We know, theoret- we know theoretically he didn't. But the question is, does he change? Or does the way you view him change? Depending on how you feel and your circumstances. And even what your theology allows or doesn't allow. I've read one commentator that says, there's... In Job, we have, re- we have to be really careful that we don't apply a lot of things directly from Job. Because their theology about God is wrong. They start out with a wrong assumption of who God is and how he, administra- he administers justice. In all of their theology, including Job, there's no room for a just person to suffer. So they have a wrong view of who God is. God's sovereignty for them and His justice must mean that when bad things happen, God does it. The reader knows this is not true. We have to, because of the first two chapters, but we have to maybe, I think it's the real thing we need to contend with. Because like many would have questions today, well, why does this happen? And this is why the book of Job is so good. Because it asks these real honest questions. Why does a sovereign God let something bad happen to me? Does that make God evil? Does that prove that God is really out to get me? Oh, I know, I knew it. I lost my job because I, I swore the other day. Or I, I failed that exam because I should have done a better quiet time. Is that how God is? This is how I view God when I became a Christian. I was very, very aware that God had the ability and the right to kill me at any point if I made any mistakes. Now there's more to the gospel than that. <laughs> because God, God is not just just. He is. He's just and holy. But if we live our life over-focusing on one aspect of who God is, now maybe in the time we live in, in the over focus is not really on God's justice but on, mo- on much more on what is called God's love but an over focus on any of his attributes probably creates a false God so here we have to contend with or Job's friends have to contend with the justice of God but you could also have a wrong view of God that says well God loves loves so much that he loves everyone it doesn't really matter if I sin. Well, that probably also proves that we misunderstand who God is and who Jesus is. Because that would also be a false view of who God is. 
No, the point is, like, I think also what Joseph said earlier, that we have rebelled and ran, run, we have rebelled against God and ran, run away. Now, if we have, a, we have the notion of God sitting there in the sky and he's going to throw lightning at us or something, um, there's probably not a good chance that we'll come running to him when we have issues. Probably hide away and try to stay behind something so he can't throw, throw his darts or his fla- uh, lightning against us. Now, but if we know the story of the Bible, it's totally different. God didn't have to create any of us. God's perfect relationship in Himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Always together, always perfect relationship. Out of that overflow, He chose to create. We were created to be with God. Now we rebelled against Him and had to be separated. It was the grace of God that he threw us out of the garden so we didn't have to live forever in our sinful state and never would be able to be with God. Instead, God sends, sends us out and in that, he starts pursuing us. God's real presence trying to come and dwell with us. But it's so hard because how can the holy God be present with people who are sinful. Because we would die if we were close to him. So we see different things. He would come and speak to some people, choose Abraham in who the whole world should be blessed. Then later on choosing to come and with his real, real, real presence to drill in the tabernacle above the mercy seats. So strong that people would just die if they hadn't cleansed themselves and they hadn't sacrificed before they got in there. The same thing we see in the temple. The real presence of God. Nobody can stand there if they haven't been cleansed. But it's God's pursuit of us. We see, we see that culminates. And you might know where we see that culminate. We see that culminate at just the right time. God sends his son. He pursues us to restore a right relationship. God pays the price. So Jesus comes. Maybe you know the verse from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son to condemn the world but that it might be saved through him. The verse goes on to say if you don't come to him you are condemned already. But we see God is pursuing us. So the notion of God, so the notion that you have of God is really, really important. And I've tried to stress this in all the sermons so far. Because we see with Job, and also when Maya was, uh, was speaking, our theology and all of our understanding of God informs how we counsel other people. It, it informs how we are when we're alone. It informs how we are at work, how we parent, how we study. All those things, our view of God 
not of you, but our real understanding, heart and soul, mind, is what comes out of our hands and feet. So I can be a fantastic systematic theologian. But if that stuff has not been caught in my heart and my mind and comes out, it doesn't matter what I know about God if it doesn't come out. This is why I'm taking this, this much time to say the way we understand who God is is so important because it affects all parts of our life. If we have a wrong understanding of who God is, whether we fail to the one side of only seeing His holiness, or only seeing His love, or only seeing His justice, or only seeing His omnipotence, and that's just really scary. But the find that interesting, interesting thing about all God's attributes is that they're so good if we believe He's good, or they're so scary when we're afraid of Him. Because if God is everywhere at all the time, like Job says before, well, you're everywhere at all the time, I can never escape you. Well, if we don't want to escape somebody, that's scary. But if I'm afraid to be alone and I need somebody to help, it's amazing. So a view of God is super important. Now, the interesting thing is that this is probably not the first time you've ever heard this. <clears throat> and probably not the last time you were ever here this. And as and you've heard this before, I me saying well, sometimes when I lead, I just read a verse from Paul or from or from uh, his name is Peter, and they use a lot of times writing to churches, saying the same thing they said before, and they said, we know that you know, but I just want you to remind you of the gospel of Christ. That's why sometimes you wake up and you think everything stinks. Sometimes that's why you wake up and you think everything's fantastic. Sometimes you wake up and think, oh, I have to do this all myself. Nobody understands me. Nobody has any clue what I'm going through. But it's also not true. God knows exactly what you're going through. He's right there. And you can reach out. Now God has given you something fantastic. And that's a fellowship of people. As you're working out what you think about God. And how you think about God. What comes out of your mouth is not the essential. Because we can all sit in Bible study and say the right things. I would encourage you to say what you really believe. So that we can help each other. Correct each other's wrong view of who God is. And be encouraged by where people get it right. And encouraging and discouraging comment is this is going to take you a whole life until Jesus comes back. We got a, got, we got a great promise, but also a great challenge. And Philippians, when this is a verse many people give it to new Christians, it's like, oh, the one who began a, began a good work in you is going to complete it. Until the day of Christ. <laughs> so it means God's going to work in us until he comes back. So we're not going to graduate and just have like solid view of who God is. One, um, one seminary professor, professor was, he was so excited. He was teaching systematic theology. And some people think that's really boring. It's like, oh, we got to sing some hymns. We got to do this and this. And 
and people would be like asking him, but isn't it weird to do systematic theology and then never get done? It's like, no, that's the whole point. <laughs> the whole point is we never get done because if we got done, I, knew who, I, know, I, I would know exactly who an infinite, uh, amazing, omnipotent God is. We're never going to get done. That's, the, that's, that's, that's because God's too big. And that's an encouraging thing. I have no idea where I'm in on my notes because I kind of went just uh, <laughs> crazy. But we got to get back to the text and we got to hear from so, uh, so, so, uh, so far. Um, he's a, he's a, um, he's a Job's third friend. Um, uh, he's even more rude than Bildad. Uh, many commentators say, many, many commentators say that he's like, he's not really nice. <laughs> he just throws stuff out there, and uh, and uh, Bildad was not. Eliphaz uh, was kind of courteous, then Bildad he was not at all so much, and then so far he's just gonna. <laughs> he kind of says, okay, so let's read. Uh, should a multitude of word go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall nobody shame you? Uh, for you say, my doctrine is poor, and I'm unclean in God's eye. Oh, but if God would just speak and open his lips to you, that he would tell you secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold understanding, knowing that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Oh, thank you for the encouragement. That's just exactly what I needed. It's not what Job's going to say. No, it's not. Because what he's actually saying is like, okay, if, uh, if Job, if you would just shut up, because whatever you just said is just blah, 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 blah. We all know, well, you say that you're blameless, but you're not. Because our theology doesn't allow for you to suffer if you haven't done anything wrong. So... That means you've done something wrong and you are not smarter than God. Therefore, I will correct you and shame you with my comments. Maybe this is not what you want to do if you're going to counsel somebody, even though they are wrong. Because just like all three people says, like, you're suffering because you have sinned. Your, your children are dead because they sinned. Your wife is annoying because you are annoying. Like, there's no help or encouragement in any of these friends so far. Why? Because their, theolo- their theology doesn't, ex- doesn't allow for this to happen. But in their theology, there is good news. The good news is... Oh, I just want to read that verse because it's funny. Uh, and he also kind of... In this verse, he kind of calls the joke stupid too. So, uh, But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey... Coat is born a man. So he's saying, okay, uh, I'm a lot smarter than you, Job, and you will get wisdom when uh, a donkey is gonna uh, bear a live child. Uh, that's pretty insulting and not very nice. Um, but if you can take the next uh, slide. Um, but in all three of his friends, they still say, there is hope though. You just need to repent of the sin you haven't committed and come to, to, come to God. And then they promise something they can't promise. They promise wealth. They promise all sorts of crazy things. And I just talked to Fu today, uh, yesterday, and he was like very worried about some prosperity gospel teachers, which I also really don't like. Uh, and and they're kind of all of his friends has one sermon: repent and go turn to God, 
And then he'll gonna give you all everything you want. This is a terrible sermon in, in many ways because they can't promise everything's gonna be fine. They have no control over his skin. They can't give him his wealth back. And God has never promised that. So not enough that they bury him with their accusations that he's done something wrong. Call him, it's kind of insult him and call him stupid. And then try to give him hope by saying, repent of your sins. And then God will give you what every... Well, well he's, God's definitely going to kill all the wicked people and all the people that slander you. They're all going to get what they deserve. And you will be greater than the greatest man in the East again. First, they can't promise those things. Um, so he addresses uh, one of the main themes we had before because Job's kind of losing hope here. He says, oh God, just let me die. Like, I'm not going to see any hope anymore. So he, he kind of throws it out there. Um, so far, there will be hope, you know, there is hope. If you repent and come back, there will be hope. And the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them. And their hope is to breathe their last. So he's saying, there's hope if you repent. If you don't, then you just have to be just like you are, actually just wanting to die. Well, thank you very much. Now, one of my favorite verses from Job, if you would take the next, next slide. Because <laughs> Job, he can also punch. Job can punch back. He says, No doubt you are people, and wisdom will die with you. He's like, Okay, smart smart people. You think you're so smart, that when you die, nobody would know wisdom. It's a very ironic slap in the face that, guys, you have not answered any of my questions. You have not comforted me. You've just said all the things I already know. But you've not explained why I'm suffering. You've not pointed out any of my sins. And you're definitely not giving me any hope by just piling on things that you think, because I'm smarter than you, I'm not inferior to you. But why don't you explain why people are laughing at me? I used to be the greatest man of the least. Why are people laughing at me now? I used to be able to talk to God and He would answer me back. I'm blameless. I'm perfect. Why am I a laughing stock? Why can't you answer any of those questions? Job says, encountering their, their arguments, they say, look at the old people. Look at what happened in the past. Get wisdom to them. He says, no, look at nature. All of nature points to that God has created them. And this stuff is happening because God is behind it. And he's letting it happen. Why don't you explain why I'm suffering? Why people are mocking me? And why I'm being laughed at? 
God gives and he takes away. Who among all these does not know that this is the hand of the Lord has done this? Is his life in the life of every living thing and in the breath of mankind? Can you take the next slide? With God, our wisdom and might, his counsel and understanding. If he tears down, nobody can rebuild. If he shuts a man, nobody can open. If he shuts a man, nobody can none can open. If he will hold the war, they dry up. If he sends them out, they will overwhelm the land. With him our strength and sound wisdom, the deceived and the deceiver are his. He loses the bonds of kings and binds the waist like of the hips. He leads priests away strip and overthrow their might. He pours contents on princes and loses the belt of the strong. He uncovers the dips of the darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chief's people of the earth and makes them wander in thick darkness. They grope in the darkness without light and he made them stagger like a drunken man. <coughs> Job saying, this is what it looks like. This is how much God has in power and strength. And he is the one that gives and takes away. Now, this is what Job thinks about God. You have to be careful not to apply this one-to-one to God. But at this point, is Job's friends stupid? Or is it, like I said before, is it their view of God that makes them worthless counselors? I I just want to read from 13, the next verse. They become worthless counselors, whitewashed liars, even speaking falsely about God and about Job. Um, 13.4, as for you, you whitewashed liars, worthless physicians are you. Oh, that you would keep silent. And he would pour out your wisdom. Um, Job's also giving back now. He's saying, like, guys, you are no help at all. You're worthless counselors, like worthless physicians. If you would just be quiet, that will make you sound smart. Are his friends so stupid? Well, the thing about the book of Job is they have a wrong view of who God is. And that controls how they counsel one another. And that's why I've spent most of the time talking about what do you, how do you see who God is. That's why it's so important. It's important to walk daily with Jesus. And get to know God better, trusting Him, even when all stuff is happening. And then uh, we should take the next one.
So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary, aff- momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Become big. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient, for see, things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a lot of talk about hope in Job. This is Paul giving us real hope. That you can, we can have joy in circumstances. Paul saying light and momentary affliction. Read all the stuff he went through. Being stoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake. All those things. Light and momentary afflictions. We can argue. Probably not as bad as Job. But still not easy. That's where our true hope find, we find in Jesus. Can you take the next slide? Sorry. That's your he who has prepared for us the very thing is God who has given us his spirit as a guarantee talk about this we have his Holy Spirit within us as a guarantee so we're always of good courage we know that, that while we are home in the body we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith not by sight yes we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord so whether we are at home or away, we made or aim to please Him. For we must if all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that it, one may receive what is due for He has done it in the body, whether good or evil. That's even why when things stink, and it doesn't mean that we have to have a big smile on our face, but we can be of good courage even when we can't see the way forward, because we hold on to our view of who God is. Also, when the school, for instance, just a hypothetical thing, when your kid's class is out of control, you can't find a job, all those things. The courage thing is that God is still the same. And what Jesus has done still stands. Our hope is not bound in our circumstances. Even when the dumb door flies open and the windows are things and we can't do stuff to work. Because that's not really where our hope is. That's really not what we're living for. If you may take the next one. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for good. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might not live for themselves, but for their sake died, and he was raised. This can also take a lot of pressure off of our shoulders. We don't have to, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for Christ. So as we're pursuing him through the toil and whatever happens, we're seeking what he would want us to do. I think I have one more. A running verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Doing what? 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, for who the joy that was set before me endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All these verses from the New Testament shows a totally different theology of suffering. Totally different. That we're expected to suffer, we're expected to endure. Life on earth is not necessarily going to be pleasant at all times. But because of the hope and joy that we have inside, we can do this. We can endure and invite people into it. Why? Because the eternal things and what life really is and only lives because God pursued us to take away our shame, pain, and guilt and live our life with His real presence in us through His Spirit. To bring life to this world to be his ambassadors here in this place and wherever you might go later. That's why it's so important for us to understand who God is and always be studying that and correcting and loving one another when we need to see the true God. We see him fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And we need to encourage one another when our arms are falling down we want to give up, help one another see as you seek by faith and walk by faith and not by sight, getting to know Jesus better and better. Like I said before, every part of your life is affected by this, whether we believe it or not. Whether I'm willing to forgive, whether I'm willing to do anything for anybody else, all is affected by who we believe, truly believe who God is. Take, uh, just skip one, yeah, one and one more. So these are some of the reflections, questions. What do you think about Job's friend's advice? Is discipline good? Light and momentary affection? What does that mean? What is your theology of suffering and why is it so important to really know who God is? I've tried to to stress the importance of the practical implication of what it means we believe who God is. That it affects every part of our life. If we don't think God is just, we'll do whatever we want. If we think He's only just, we'll be afraid of Him and not spend time with Him. We see in Jesus how God is real Himself to us. We might have a great, great, way greater understanding of who God is because we can see who Jesus is. We can even ponder the mystery that if we have accepted Jesus Christ, the true presence of God actually lives in us. That's why we're encouraged to be His ambassadors to go out and shine His light. If I thank you for this time we can spend, I just want to pray for myself and all of us. Lord, help us. Help us pursue you as you pursue us. We're better understanding who we are. And I pray that you will make it practical from day to day. And we understand how much we've forgiven, so we forgive. 
that we want to stand there so much we've been given so we can be generous. We understand how just you are so we would act justly. God, help us. Enable us. Give us much joy even in our trials and even when we don't understand what is going on. Help us to see that you're steadfast and you never change. Help us to see the beauty of who you are and that you loved us before we loved you. Pray for all these people here and the people downstairs. May your real presence be manifested in us through your Holy Spirit. Guys, help us to be ambassadors in this place and to the city, to the world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.